Are you also tired of one-size-fits-all weight loss plans? Meet Noom, the personalized solution that meets you where you are. Noom is able to understand your unique needs, from dietary restrictions to medical concerns. Unlike restrictive programs, Noom embraces your lifestyle and choices. Discover a sustainable approach to weight loss, tailored just for you. Honestly, Noom felt like it was made for me. It's not just about what I eat. It's about understanding why. With Noom, I've learned so much about myself and built healthier habits that stick. It's all about progress, not perfection. Say goodbye to restrictive diets and experience the Noom app for yourself with personalized lessons and expert coaching. Noom's psychology and biology-based approach has helped over 5.2 million people achieve their goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. And this is, again, not just custom experiences, it's everything in life, basically. So you have those two things. And, and this is the real key thing. And I think this, when I first heard this, I thought to myself, bloody hell, this has got some serious implications for the customer experience industry. And that is, he says that we, we don't choose between experiences. We choose between the memory of an experience. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. I we am so excited to have my guest proven delighted customers and share ways to help you Colin delight Shaw. Colin, your welcome customers. to the show. Thanks very much, Mark. Yeah, looking forward to this. It's um, uh, been a while since we've spoken, but yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on. It's so it's so great to have you on. And again, one of the one of the original luminaries in the customer experience world who was there right at the outset. Um, You're making me feel old now. <laughs> but you were a pioneer. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> um, but you were a pioneer and uh, have so much wisdom. And, and I just can't wait to get into a conversation with you. If you don't mind, uh, share with the audience kind of what what led you up to where you are and what you do today. What are you what are you doing? Sure. Uh, so um, the, the age bit is probably quite appropriate because um, I started in this game probably 20, 22 years ago now. Um, um, my boss said something to me when I, I was in corporate life and my boss yeah. said something to me that was to change my life, which was that he wanted me to improve the customer experience, but to do it at least cost. So this is when I was in corporate life and I thought to myself, that's really interesting. I wonder what a customer experience is. Um, you know, how do you do these things, etc. So I spent three years putting together a big program um, uh, and uh, rolling the program out. Lo lots of learning in there. Then decided to. Uh, I thought that customer experience that nobody had really ever heard about was going to be a big thing. So um, decided to leave corporate life and take the bold step into working for myself. Um, and wrote, did the well-worn path of writing a book. Uh, so wrote a, my first book, of the first of eight that I've now written. Um, and, um, you know, I won't bore you with it all, but 
Uh, we've moved into um, providing consultancy services uh, for many different organizations like Caterpillar and FedEx and American Express. Uh, and we so we provide consultancy services, uh, training, some specialized research, uh, and been doing that for the last 22 years. Hmm. Hmm. So I'm guessing, and that's that's a, a great a great background and some great brands that you've you've worked with, uh, had a chance to influence. I'm guessing from the accent that you're not from Tennessee. So <laughs> did, did you get your corporate uh, start back in the UK? Is yeah, this was all started back in the UK, okay. um, and uh, the interesting bit was that after sort of oh, we the book came out, I was just getting so much called from uh american businesses that mm. i was flying over the pond all the time um and therefore um we ended up um buying a place over over here uh i'm in florida at the moment uh yeah. and now split my life between the two yeah we were just talking about that before we, we jumped on on the uh podcast about how you're in sarasota i have a kid and kid and uh in sarasota and we're comparing notes on grandkids uh but but you have uh been doing tremendous work in the area and and written eight books as you say tell us about the last one what's the name of the last one that you wrote the last one i wrote is called the intuitive customer hmm. uh, and it's uh it's all about um understanding customer experience at a much more behavioral perspective if uh i i won't bore you with it all but you know when i when i launched my first one building great customer experiences back in 2002 it was slightly different in the sense that it wasn't just looking at the rational side of an experience it was looking at also the emotional side of an experience uh and not you know not enough organizations even today uh think about that um the intuitive customer is is more about understanding really why why customers do things uh, and what we discover is that what customers say that they want and what customers actually do want and what they say they're going to do and what they actually do can be very different things uh, and therefore understanding customer behavior is really really important and that comes under the heading of what's called behavioral science so it's understanding effectively why human beings do what we we do yeah and that's got to be really important when it comes to business decisions that you have to make yeah it's incredibly important because what you discover is that some of the business decisions that you make you think are logical but they're not um uh, and also uh you know it spreads into um segmentation so how are you segmenting your customers? You know, are you segmenting them on behavior or just general demographics? Mm. Um, and, it, you know, the, the it's a bit, the, the example I always give is this, which I, I, I always think is a great example. You know, Disney know when they ask their guests what they would like to eat at a theme park, Disney know that people say they'd like to have an option of a salad. Disney also know that people don't eat salads when they go to theme parks. They have dogs and hamburgers. <laughs> so, and this feels a bit, this always feels a bit wrong when I say this, having been in customer experience for as long as I have. Uh, and that is that the irony is 
sometimes you've got to ignore your customers mm. what they're telling you because either they're telling you the wrong thing because they don't want you to know because of some societal thing or whatever it may be or they don't really know themselves and understand themselves well enough so it absolutely goes down into decision making uh, and how you can get under the skin of what people are saying and look at more of what they are doing and mm. that be i i hope would be a key takeaway for your audience which is for me it's much more important to watch what customers do rather than what they say they're going to do um because those two things can be different yeah well th that's interesting and and you you uh made me think about something um i'm working on a i'm going to be teaching at msu um in, in the customer experience management program the course is customer relationship management and it's relevant to what you were just talking about and so we're trying to understand a framework for what what drives loyalty right what drives yeah. loyalty there was some study you mentioned tennessee a minute ago just joking around but there was a study from a guy named oliver a while back on what he called the four phases of loyalty and i just want to get your reaction to that because he said he said there's this cognitive part at the very beginning of getting to know a brand that is mostly cerebral going back to the rational piece of it and then and then eventually there's an affect stage where they start to have a bit of a preference for the brand um and but they're still vulnerable uh to to all sorts of things anything price comp competition but they're they're moving into a place where they go from just the head knowledge to now do i like this do, you know what are my preferences and then the third phase he calls cognitive where you're getting to repeat purchases a sense of loyalty with an intention to be a customer but again, not that commitment level. And the last piece is the action phase where I'm not only bought into your brand, I will defend the brand. I will forgive you when you mess up um, to a point, to a point. So, so those are the four phases that Oliver presented back in 1999 in a paper he did. What, what have you found behaviorally since you were talking about that? Yeah, so I, I think what's missing from that is, is again, it's the why. Okay, mm. so let me let me take a step back because you know I I think a lot of these things are um, people overanalyze them. Okay, uh, and I think one of the 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 things for me is to just look at sort of yourself and uh, and think about why do you do things? Okay, so let me explain what I mean. Uh, if I you know if I said to you uh, I've got this really great family. They're a lot cheaper to run than your existing family. Do you fancy swapping? You know, um, it, it, I mean, it, it's funny because people don't do that. You don't hmm. make a decision on your, you know, what family you want based upon the logical costs of what they're going to be, etc. Okay. Uh, and so what we discover is that loyalty is an, um, is about an emotional attachment. When you think of, the people you are loyal to if i was to say to you well let's ask you mark who are the people you are loyal to in your life truly loyal to who would the people are that you would say that they are yeah i would say my family my wife my 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 kids my grandkids yeah and and they can do things to you that really annoy you um and if you're anything like my family i'm sure they do 
um, <laughs> and and but you but you love them and you would do anything for them yeah, yeah. um and therefore there is that emotional bond there okay so when we talk about loyalty in the business sense effectively what companies what people talk about is the fact that they want their customers to give them all their business that's effectively what they're saying but you know loyalty is based on an emotional attachment so you use the phrase um customer relationship management and there's a key word there clearly which is relationship okay right, and again right. relationships are formed on emotions so again you think of the word loyalty, that's an emotional attachment. Relationship is an emotional attachment. So the issue becomes, well, what emotions drive those things? Okay. And how can you tell? Um, and therefore, in that model that you just gave there, the the issue becomes, it, it, again, it's that level below. So here's a question for you. Yeah. Um, what emotions for your company, and I can't necessarily answer this, but what emotions for your company drive loyalty? Okay. When I did my third book, DNA of Custom Experience, How Emotions Drive Value, we did two years worth of research with London Business School, and we identified 20 emotions that are proven to drive value. And when I say value, I'm talking about um, money, I'm talking about loyalty, net promoter as a sort of a measure of loyalty, um, uh, brand awareness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there are 20 emotions. I won't bore you with them, but they're things like happiness, please, trust, cared for. Um, and there are uh, eight um, negative emotions that will drive disloyalty, things like frustration, stress, hurried, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and therefore, again, the point I'm trying to make is, well, you, you know, you're trying to create a loyal customer. You understand that there is an emotional attachment to that. You've got to build that emotional attachment. Well, what, what, emo what emotion are you trying to build then? And don't just say we want an emotional attachment because that's too broad. Well, what, what is it? Is it trust you've got to build up? Is it? It, it, you know is it feeling valued um is it feeling pleased it, what is it uh, and then the question becomes uh, well how are you going to do that so mm. how are you going to design your experience to specifically evoke that emotion because you know it will th therefore in doing that that emotion will lead you towards um creating a loyal customer does that make sense? It, it makes sense, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, we would, I'm gonna throw out sort of an illustration and and see what you think about it um, as it applies to what you just said. We were talking about our friend Luke Carbone, yeah. who who wrote a book called Clued In, and you know his roots were in the advertising world, and he came yeah. into the CX world, and you knew him from way back when. Um, he had talked in in an earlier podcast that that I had him on about Disney. And yep. the, the way they, they design Main Street, like the, the exit area, the entrance and yep. exit area, and how it's not perfectly symmetrical. It actually, you know, it has the appearance of a, of a longer entrance, the way the, yep. the buildings are skewed, and a shorter exit. And that's all by design. 
Yes. Yes, no, absolutely. So so that that is, you know, creating and lose great at this stuff. Um uh creating the physical mm. structure to create that environment. But it, it 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 also for me goes further than that, which is, you know, so it, I mean it's the classic example of you can tell someone to say have a nice day. But when the employee says "Have a nice day," do the do you really believe that they're they're genuinely saying it or not? And most of them aren't, you know. Yeah. Um, I, 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 and therefore, it's that again. It's that what emotion are you evoking? So if if you go, I mean, again, if you take it back to something that people can relate to, to just think of your personal life again, okay? And you think to yourself, oh, okay, well. Uh, what does cared for look like? So when somebody feels cared for, what does it look like? Okay. Mm. And most people will say, yeah, when I've personally felt that someone's cared for me, then I feel that they understand me. They've listened to me. They felt that I'm the only person there. They've spent time with me. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. If you then just pick out those words, you know, listened, understood, spent time, um, then how does that apply in that in a business setting? So if you're trying to evoke feeling cared for, yeah. then how does that apply when you're when the customer's phoning you? How does that apply when the you know when you're um, uh, even on you know in the digital environment? You know how does how do those things apply? So you can take those sort of big concepts and those big feelings, and then you can either take it down to well, that means we've got to create Disney World to have these streets that go in there, and we've got to do this, and we've got to build that infrastructure, uh, or uh, and we've got yeah. to think about how the customer interacts, how how the employees interacts with the the customer as well to create that cared for and loyalty, et cetera. Yeah, that that's that's really good. So you think about the 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 emotions that are positive, that attract, that it and those that are negative, trying to stay away from those. Yeah. Right? And how do you design that or build that into the experience that customers have? Yes. Yeah. I mean on one on one side of it. It's not rocket science. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it, it's not rocket science, but but you know, again, your listeners now, if you think about the business that you're in, okay, think about um, the you know what what emotion are you trying to evoke? So here's a very simple question that I ask all businesses that I've asked them for years, which is. Um, What's the experience that you're trying to deliver? Okay. Can you articulate to me what the experience is that you're trying to deliver? So, in other words, when a customer comes in and you're talking to them, you're dealing with them over the over the uh, web, whatever it may be, what when when they leave, what would they say about your experience? And is that the experience that you're trying to deliver? And what we discover is that most organizations can't articulate that. And given that 50% of a customer experience is about how a customer feels, what emotion are you trying to evoke? And again, what we, what we discover, uh, is that most organizations 
don't know what emotion they're trying to evoke in their in their customers and therefore by definition they don't do it or right. one part of the organization does this another part does that and the customer as we know then feels that hold on that's a bit disjointed i'm you know they're telling me one thing they're telling me something else and that builds up the level of frustration and uh, and all those other things but that then comes to that sort of goes underneath all of this so you've got an emotion and the interesting question for me has always been um well why was that emotion why did i feel that emotion okay what was it that made me feel those things hmm. which where we get into then this whole area of behavioral science which is then looking at um well how do human beings make and i say human beings because obviously customers are human beings how do how do how do we make human beings make decisions and what are the ways that we do that um and you know you know that we do a podcast called the intuitive customer where i talk with the the guy that co-wrote the book with me a, a guy called professor ryan hamilton from emory university uh and we talk about you know that whole area uh and one of the most interesting areas is the area of um of memory uh which again because if you think about loyalty and tell me mark if i'm rattling on too much mate no i was just going to ask you about the connection to memory yeah because well, once i get running on this stuff you can't <laughs> i'm like you man i i get it but so th this is the connection which I, and this i've got to tell you i find absolutely fascinating okay so um let me just start at the beginning um and we did we did three shows on this so we're not going to be able to cope with it all today um uh, but um we did um I, I, there's a guy called professor um daniel Kahneman, okay and he uh, he's a, a, a famous in the uh, area of behavioral science okay and what Kahneman talks about um is memory uh, amongst other things all right so let me take a step back before I go down that route to 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 link it to memory so people can understand why I'm talking about this if you think about loyalty okay loyalty means that I have bought from you in the past and I am going to buy from you again. Okay, that's loyalty. Because if it, if we did, so consequently, it's based around memory. Mm. Yeah. Okay, because you bought from them in the past, mm. and you've started down that four box process that the chap that you mentioned earlier um, spoke about, mm -hmm. uh, and you thought that was good. Yeah. Okay. And I'm now starting to become a loyal customer. So if you think about it, loyalty is a function of memory, okay? Now, what Kahneman talks about is, and, and this is the big question for me, which is, okay, well, if memory is that important, how are memories formed? Because mm. I need to know how memories are formed to be able to influence what the memory is that my customer has of my interaction, yeah? Right. And what Kahneman talks about is the fact that we have two selves. We have our um, we we have our 
um, experiencing self, which is the self now for you and I, it's when we're doing this recording for your listener, it's as they're physically listening to this recording. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. It, the experiencing self, what you're experiencing in the moment. And what Kahneman also talks about is the fact that we have a remembering self, which is what we remember from this recording, okay, from whatever that interaction experiences that you've had. And this is, again, not just custom experiences, it's everything in life, basically. Right. So you have those two things. And and this is the real key thing. And I think this, when I first heard this, I thought to myself, bloody hell, this has got some serious implications for the customer experience industry. And that is, he says that we we don't choose between experiences. We choose between the memory of an experience. So mm. let me repeat that. We don't choose between experiences. We choose between the memory of an experience. So when I, if I was to come to uh, your hometown and say, "Hey, hey, uh, Mark, I'm, I'm, um, you know, going to go out for a meal one um, in your hometown. What restaurant would you suggest I go to?" Okay, um, you are going to scan back in your memory and go, "Yeah, that's a good one." You know, yeah, go, go here, Colin. Um, so again, it, it's also about therefore the memory. So the, the issue becomes, yeah, if the memory is more important than the experience, then how, what creates the memory? And what Kahneman talks about is what is called the peak end rule, which basically means that what we remember in an experience, again, uh, for our lives, but uh, also applies to a custom experience, is we remember the peak emotion that we felt, and we remember the end emotion that we felt. Okay. So we remember the peak emotion and we remember the end emotion. The mm -hmm. peak emotion can be positive or negative. So it could be a negative emotion, but it's the most intense emotion that we feel. And the same applies at the end and endings are more important than the peak. Okay. Mm -hmm. So given that. Okay. So now we know. To create a memory, to create loyalty, it's all about the peak end, uh, peak end rule. So that raises some, as you know, customer experience professionals, that raises some interesting questions, like, well, where is the peak emotion in our customers' journey, whatever journey we're looking at? Where's the peak emotion? What are they feeling? What do we? What are they feeling today? And what do we want them to feel tomorrow? Yeah. What's the end emotion that they're feeling? What do we want them to feel? And which emotion drives most value? What return are we going to get by evoking these emotions at the peak and at the end? And how are we going to go about it doing it? And how do we, and, you know, now we're into that sort of whole implementation bit, which is, you know, how do you physically uh, get people to feel cared for and so on and so forth? So memory is absolutely key in uh, uh, driving loyalty. Um, and without that and without going under the hood, 
you know, you, you're not going to get very far. And you've got to start thinking about when you're building your journey maps, identifying the peak and the end, looking at what emotions are being evoked and what emotions you want to be evoked, et cetera, et cetera. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. Um, and I think about, hey, all I can think about is all the people now are saying, there, there are a number of people out in our world and our profession that are saying journey maps are obsolete. We don't need, you know, to go through that process. Um, things like AI can tell us what the customer uh, does, thinks, feels, etc. Um, so they're going to be oh, they're going to yeah. be obsolete. I so <laughs> yes and no, okay. Uh, and maybe we need another podcast to go down into this whole track, but let me give you a, a thought because I think it's key. So at the moment, when people are designing their AIs, there's effectively, there are two elements that they are focusing on and a third that they're not, okay? Um, so let me give you an example. Uh, a telecoms company fairly recently asked its AI to tell them when a customer was going to leave them. Okay. The it came back and said, these customers are going to leave. When they said, when they then asked the AI, why are they going to leave? It couldn't tell them. Uh, and the reason it couldn't tell them is because they hadn't asked the right question in the first place. So, the two areas that are key is the data and how you're training your AI. And the thing that is really important that you have to train the AI on is this whole area of behavioral science. So building, building AI, as we know, is good at pattern recognition, but it will come back and say, here's a pattern. These customers are leaving. Whereas you want it to say, these customers are leaving and the reason they're leaving is because of this aspect of your experience that is being impacted by the way that you're treating them and that understanding of AI. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect so, sense. You know, tr training them on the peak end rule and training the AI on Look, yeah, you know, there's a pattern here, and it's actually called the peak end rule, and and uh, therefore it's it's a bit like the. Have you ever seen um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? I have not. No, okay. So it's a great um, uh, it's a great sort of spoof science fiction book, uh, and I, I, I won't bore you with it all, but they had this great um, great session in it, uh, and it was a movie as well as a book where they basically asked this supercomputer that had been uh, that they'd built to go off and find the answer to life the universe and everything yeah what was the answer to life the universe and everything and after 10 million years of processing it came back and said the answer is 42 <laughs> okay yeah Precisely. um but what i'm trying to indicate there is going well actually the the, the supercomputer is going to be more intelligent than you you just may not understand the answer when it comes back <laughs> so you think about you know is the answer effectively going to be actionable will you understand what the patterns are when you're building the AI? 
and that is important as part of loyalty. So, so going back to journey mapping, will journey mapping become obsolete because of AI? Yeah, I. You know what I, I've I've said that I think that journey mapping will become obsolete because I think that what will replace it is effectively a memory maps. So you know the the if you think about a journey map. A journey map is about the um, experiencing self, what right. I'm experiencing. Yeah, and again, it's a subtle difference, but an important difference. A memory map is about what has a customer remembered. Now, what AI will be able to do is be able to pick up all of the different points that the customer has touched you and where those memories have been built uh, as long as and again this is a danger and um, we had a we had an ai specialist on the show the other week um that you know because one of the problems that organizations are classic stuff of what they're doing now and it's just like uh, what everybody did when the web came out which is all parts of um all individual silos within an organization are all busy implementing their own AI systems. You know, just like when the internet was created, okay, you know, everyone went off and every section of the company built their own website. And then we got to the point where everyone went, why is it when I contact this customer, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with this major company and I tap and I'm buying that product. I'm dealing with that type of website and I'm buying that and it's the same company and I'm buying that product from, and it was all different. The same is going to happen with AI. If you're not careful is everyone's going to have their own version of AI and it's not going to integrate and it's not going to provide that unique view of the organization to understand the patterns to understand the memory that's being formed to create the loyal loyalty. Yeah. So that's a great point. And, um, you know, it just sort of, it's, it's history repeating itself. Use the internet example, but the same is true with AI is that if we're not reading off the same sheet of music, you know, then we're going to create all these different potentially competing aspects of the experience that aren't, starting with the customer and yeah. to, to your point their me the memory of the experience you're having i have a follow-up question for you i just it just coincidental today i was on a meeting with a number of cx professionals cx people like me who were who somebody asked us to get together and help a bunch of cx practitioners and um i don't know what else to call it but um a think tank kind of a situation we're, we're helping them in their businesses. And I think the focus of, of this is around AI and how to implement it in organizations effectively. And my question to you, and this came up in the meeting is, so the CX leader oftentimes has a small budget, has a limited staff, has yep. uh, everything they, and I'm exaggerating here, but everything they need to get done is through influencing others mm -hmm. to get, to, to get things accomplished. So given, given that, reality if it's true you know what what can cx leaders do what is their role or what is their best approach as this new wave comes upon us of ai in an organization given the realities of the cx leader 
Yeah, so I, I think for me, it, it and and let's go back to the very beginning of this conversation. When I was working in corporate life, that was my job, okay? So uh, I've been there and done it, basically. Um, you are, what you've got to do is you've got to ask some really clever, sensible questions and challenge. So you've got to understand your subject and, un and and be able to answer a question like what's the experience that we're trying to deliver okay can somebody tell me that you mm -hmm. know um and that is a very powerful question in itself and, and again just thinking of your audience if i was you if you're in a room get people to say and say to them what's the experience you're trying to deliver can you write down what you think it is please okay and then get everyone around the table to tell you what you think it is and what it will demonstrate is that nobody knows okay therefore you know there's then the opportunity to go well don't you think we should no okay and if we're trying to build this ai system yeah don't you think that we should all you know because it's going to cost a lot of time effort money resources to be able to answer those types of things and how are we going to be going about training this ai system uh, that we're building in so if we agree that, and I hope people do, that from the conversation that I've had with you today, that emotions are important, mm. then a question I would be answering is, asking would be, as a CX professional would be, how are we going to train the AI system then to recognize emotions? How are we going to, so, you know, go back to the, the telecoms company I spoke about earlier, you know, which customers are going to leave. When the AI comes back and tells us it's that group of customers, how are we going to understand why they're leaving us? You know, so it's yeah. it, it's asking, the point I'm trying to make is yeah, you, the influence that you've got, you're not going to be able to do all these things, but you've got to challenge people in a positive way to get them to think about things. So, Here's another example, okay? Uh, and again, something that I've done, something I advise my clients to do. I would tell people, I would say in that influencing bit, I'd be going, I listen to this really interesting, so I, in other words, I'm one of your audience, I'm a yeah. I'd be going, listen to, I send a note out, they would send a note out to their, to their colleagues saying, I listened to this really interesting podcast the other day, Mark, and they were talking about, I take a listen to it. Okay, because once again, they start to listen to the type of conversation that we're having, they can start to challenge them and get them to think about that type of uh, influence. Yeah. And they've got to try to get some people on their side, some people that are that they in a senior position that they can ask those types of challenging questions to and get them to realize that they don't know the answer, basically. Yeah. And, and going back to that, that, uh, illustration that you shared of people in the room and asking this Socratic question about what is what is it we're trying to make them feel when they're experiencing our product? How, how do we want them to feel when when they're experiencing us? And you say that we'll find out that nobody nobody has an answer. I, I would add that almost the opposite from practical standpoint, the act the outcome is the same. Is that every person will have an answer. They'll just all be different. Yes. Precisely. Right. 
And then part of, part of our conversation today was, you know, this, uh, I'm not going to name job descriptions or people, but, or companies, but this person wants to use AI to reduce cost. This person, this person wants to use AI to drive revenue. This person wants to eliminate FTEs. This person, you know, nobody's really saying, I want to improve the experience for the customer. Sure. But to be honest with you, you know, in all the, in all the work that we've done over the last 20 years, I've never ever been involved in a project that doesn't end up saving costs and improving right. the customer experience because we know that poor customer experiences cost money. Okay? Right. Uh, and therefore, what's the bit that's missing is being able to identify some of those costs and how it can uh, position with these things. The big danger that for me is that I think lots of organizations are going to waste time and effort by everybody doing their own little AI version. And then at some point in the not too distant future, turn around and go, oh, we've got all these different versions. Now we need one version. So let's go back. You know, again, just think of what's happened on the web because it's just, it's just history repeating itself. So I, I think you've, you've, you've certainly got a, You've got to think about, it's a bit like being a politician, to be honest with you. You've got to think about how can you get everybody to feel like they're addressing their bit about revenue and they're addressing their bit about costs and they're addressing their bit about customer experience. What we know, and this is the honest answer, is that if you just go in from a customer experience perspective, you're going to lose out Mm. because people are more interested, unfortunately, uh, in cost savings and getting in revenue than most organizations are than improving the customer experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I talk a lot about the importance of, of as a CX leader, becoming trustworthy, becoming sure. more of a trusted guide than the hero, but you're the guide sure. uh, helping the organization. What that means is you have to be other focused and, and knowing that the constituents that you're helping out, you have to understand what motivates them? What drives them? What are what are their goals? What are they trying to accomplish? Yeah. And speak their language rather than, like you said, a CX language. Yes, yes. One of the things I did that I would really ad- ad- advise people to do, um, and this was when I was back in corporate life and running um, large projects myself, is get somebody from the finance team to to work with you. Okay. And get them to do an analysis of, uh, you know, the revenues, how it's going to affect things, et cetera. So it's not just you, uh, as from a CX perspective that are saying, yes, this is a good idea. Uh, but you've then got the sign off, if you like, and the blessing of somebody within the finance team to agree that the approach that you're taking makes financial sense and will give you a, a return. So just fascinating, gems. I just want to, I just want to go back and punctuate some of the things that you said. So, because there's a lot to unpack there. Um, and, and you correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but I think I, I got a few of them written down here. So, um, there's two selves. There's the experiencing self and then there's the remembering self. And yeah. it's important, it's important to know that really it is about the remembering self. Um, and we don't choose b- between experiences we we choose between choose the memory 
of the experience. That's right. Of, of the experience. That there's this thing called the peak end rule, and the peak yeah. re- uh, has to do with the peak of the experience. Could be good or bad. And then the end, end part, which is the part that they really me- remember, could also be good or bad. But those, those are the real key inflection points in, in a journey for a customer. Yeah, so let me just make sure you, you, you've got that 100% right. It's the peak emotion of that. Peak, emo- peak emotion. Yeah. Good. Thank, thanks, for, thanks for clarifying. Yep. Um, and then, um, you know, you think, you think that um, AI can, can really be effective if it's thought of in terms of memory maps. Memory maps will, will potentially eventually replace journey maps because they focus on that second part. That, not the experience, but the actual remembering self. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we haven't spoke about it, um, but, you know, very quickly, um, I think what what will happen is we're on the cusp of a change between being uh, providing a reactive experience to providing a proactive experience. And I think the competitive landscape will be around the companies that can be provide a proactive experience that is will be enabled through ai yeah and i think over the next 10 years that's going to be the battleground basically and in in theory the overall in theory the customer experience will improve if that's the case correct correct so you will if you can understand what the customer really wants not what they're saying they want if you can look at the pack, the, the the things that they've done and the memories that are formed, you will be able to put all of that information together through AI and you will be able to say, this is what I recommend that we do for this customer. And I'm trying to be very clear with my words, not this group of customers, but mm. this customer, because the pattern of behavior has been this. This is the memory that we built up in that customer hence the memory map therefore this is what we should do next some of that will be a proactive experience where it's it's automatic because it's just going to be done by technology and some of it could be getting a customer getting an agent to phone a customer up proactively because actually if they don't sort something out in three three interactions time that customer will leave them mm. and that goes back to that technology the the telecoms bit where they don't know why they're leaving them you want to get in before they're just about to leave you want to make sure that 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 issue doesn't happen yeah and and i know i know we talked about joe pine before and i know you 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 know him well and he he talks about this concept called customering which you know is doing away with this idea of market segmentation and target marketing segments of customers but that really it's just a customer now it's a segment of one segment of one yeah another another gem and then the last one i love that and then the last one is make friends with finance yeah yes wow i i I was friends but i didn't i didn't use it as a strategy and i should have i really should have thought through that um and boy could that have changed so much uh aches and pains and hard 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 night's sleep Yes. No, absolutely. I used to have a finance person. I, I recruited a finance person from finance to be on my team. And and he spent the whole day projecting what we were going to do. And he had the credibility and, and understood things and could articulate to his ex-colleagues 
exactly what was being done. So rather than just going, yeah, we think it's going to give us some ROI. But, you know, here, here's here's my napkin. I've written it on the back. This is what I think the business case looks like. They were actually able to put together a really good professional business case that was sort of free. And the brilliance of that, the brilliance of that is quite often, depending on where CX sits in the organization, whatever you're proposing, whether it comes from you or somebody else, is going to end up back at that CFO or the finance place. So if you're able to say it's been vetted already, yeah. woof, yes. the tailwinds. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And that's where doing the the influence really starts coming about. And when you start getting, therefore, some money and people, everything, you know, it starts really um, uh, uh, cooking on gas, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been uh, so much fun, so much gems compressed in such a short amount of time. Not bad for two grandpas. Uh, <laughs> but I have one other question uh, that, that I always ask at the end for my audience, and that is a more of a personal one. What advice would you give to your 20 year old self? Um, don't worry about what your career is going to look like. Uh, and what I mean by that is I, uh, I, along with lots of other people, suddenly thought to myself that I had to define what type of job and what type of role that I needed to have, you know, for when I was um, 40 or 50. Uh, and who knew that I was going to be sitting here at this point in my life talking to you about customer experience and AI. That doesn't mean to say that you shouldn't have a plan. You should absolutely have a plan and a strategy. Uh, but you don't have to have the, the answer to the life, the universe and everything when you're 20 years old. You just need to be doing something that you think is that you like and you're good at, uh, whatever it may be, and things will pan out for you. Nice. Well said. Colin, thank you so much for being on the Delighted Customer Show. It's been a privilege. Good. No, it's been, um, been good. We had a, a really good conversation. Good. Thank you. You got it. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com.